0: So if you'll open your Bible there to Exodus 32, you follow along with me as I read. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered together themselves unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring those earrings to me. Bring the gold to me, he said. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the golden earrings. Notice this. He fashioned it, he fashioned it, the graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. So he melted the gold down and took the gold, the liquid gold, and covered this wooden structure that he had made. And then as the gold was hardening, uh, he he took a graving tool, an instrument, he uh, crafted and designed this what was to be a replica of this Egyptian deity. Uh, And then he said, verse 4, These be, notice this, he didn't say, This be thy God. No, no, no. He said, These be thy gods. Plural. Even even, uh, in his attempt to have this golden calf represent Jehovah God, he led them back and reverted back to a sense of Religious syncretism or theological syncretism, which means the belief in multiple gods. Now, ladies and gentlemen, hold up just a second. Remember who this is. This is Aaron. This is Moses' brother. This is the second in command. And this dude has led the people not just in idolatry, in worshiping an idol, but even in leading them to to polytheism, the belief in multiple gods. Man, I, I you you're like me. You're wondering. Good night, preacher. How in the world could could this happen? Well, it. It happens subtly, as we talked about, uh, that our first principle in this message, look at how subtle and how swift spiritual compromise can take place. And we pointed out, we talked about weeks ago, how, you know what, this takes place, the spiritual compromise, the subtlety of that takes place in our lives as well. That through our flesh through the craftiness of our adversary, the devil, through the pull and tug of the world and our culture. Spiritual compromise on a personal level, on an individual level. And, and by the way, gang, that's what sin is. It's spiritual compromise. That takes place in a very subtle way, a very swift way. Sometimes... We're right at the threshold of sin before we realize its pull in our lives. It's very, very subtle. And so we talked about that. And then the second thing that we noticed was uh, that, that, that you and I, if we find ourselves tempted by sin or this compromise or wandering away from God, notice how the Lord used Moses... And this divine intervention. And it behooves you and I. You and I are responsible for how we respond to God's divine and direct intervention. And we talked about and we learned that Moses, God came to Moses. God let Moses know what was going on. Moses interceded on behalf of the people before the Lord. Uh, he said uh, he he asked God uh, to to uh, withhold judgment, and the Lord had compassion. The Lord had mercy, but that, that's verses eleven through verse fourteen. But then we learned last time that Moses represents not just the people before the Lord, but in verses nineteen and twenty, the Lord represents or Moses represents the Lord before the people. And he came down to where the people were and he represented God and he had the two tables of of testimony, the Ten Commandments that were written, listen, by the finger of God. Just as Aaron personally crafted and uh, with an engraving tool uh, shaped the golden calf, even so In contrast to that, by the Lord's hand, God is the one who who, with His own hand, with His own finger, He wrote the Ten Commandments on the two tablets of stone by the hand of the Lord. Wow! Notice how significant that was. And, and, And here Moses comes down from the mountain. He sees all that's occurring. He is moved with the same righteous indignation as God was, and not not out of irresponsible anger, but as a sign to show that the people had violated the law of God, broken the heart of God. Moses cast the stones down, and the tablets, the stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments, they were broken, signifying that the people had broken God's heart broken their covenant with God and broken broken God's law. And it's interesting what happens at that point. And so there's a third truth that you and I must embrace when it comes to us dealing with our own personal temptation to wander away from God. Remember now, uh, we are talking about a historical narrative in scripture But ladies and gentlemen, let's let the Holy Spirit make it personal because everything that the Lord gives us right here is to be applied to you and I in our personal lives. Don't ever forget that Bible study and Bible instruction and Bible knowledge is to turn into relevant life application, personal application. You see, head knowledge and even heart knowledge is to be translated out in our lives. And so... What is the third lesson we learn from this? It is that you and I are to own our own failure. Own the failure. When you and I sin, when when we yield to temptation, when we have those, what others would call, little personal individual compromises in our lives, and we must own it and own up to it and recognize it. Listen to verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? In other words, what did they do? What did they promise? What did they say? What was it that occurred that so manipulated you and led you to lead them in the wrong way? Aaron, wake up. Aaron, what happened? You were supposed to be influencing them for right and for God, but yet you allowed them to influence you through carnality and reverting back to Egyptian idolatry. Aaron said to Moses, verse 22, notice this, "...let not the anger of my Lord wax hot." Thou knowest the people, Moses, that they are set on mischief. Moses, you know how they are, for they said unto me, "Make us gods which shall go before us." As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not? We know not what has become of him. Verse twenty-four. Then I said, Then I said to them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave me the gold. Watch this. Notice this now. Then I cast the gold into the fire, and watch this, and there came out this calf. (laughs) It's interesting that as you follow these verses, verses 21 through 24, that Aaron gives his explanation for what was done and why it was done. But in doing so, gang, he shows us the wrong way to respond when we're confronted by the Lord or by someone else about our sins. Notice how he responded. The wrong way to respond. We see, first of all, that the wrong way to respond is by dismissing the serious nature of the sin. Notice verse 22. He said, now, now, now look, he said, don't, don't, don't let your anger wax hot, Moses. In other words, don't get all upset, Don't be too mad, too upset, Moses. It's really not as serious as what you think. I mean, you're getting all worked up. He's dismissive of the serious nature of the sin. You ever talk to someone that hurt you or did something against you, and when you were talking the offense out, when you were talking it out, you got the sense that they were being a bit dismissive? of the sin, the wrong, the hurt? Well, I realize that happened, but it's it's really not as serious as what you want to think it is. That's exactly, dear friends, that's exactly what Aaron was committing here. He was dismissing the serious nature of the sin. Oh, dear friends, please, listen carefully. Whenever the Holy Spirit, through the revealed Word or through His direct dealing with us whenever He speaks to our conscience. May God help us not to be dismissive. Not to blow Him off or blow the Lord off or blow someone else off and say, well man, just forget you. I'm I'm not listening. It's really not as serious. It's not as big a deal as what you want to make it out to be. Can I say this to you? If God says it's a big deal, then it's a big deal. Sin is a big deal. It cost Jesus his life. Jesus suffered our hell because of sin. Are you kidding me? Yes, it's a big deal. Aaron was being dismissive. Just how serious the sin was. But then he did something else. He not only was dismissing of the serious nature of the offense, but he was shifting blame. Notice this. He blamed the people. He said, well, you know how these people are, verse 22, verse 23. You know how these people are, Moses. Moses, of all people, you understand how fickle they are, how prone to wander they are. They said for me to do this, Moses. This was was their idea. Moses, we didn't know if you were dead or alive. So Aaron is not only shifting blame toward the people, Aaron really is shifting blame on Moses. Moses, had you been here, had you come down from the mountain a little bit earlier, none of this would have taken place. Can I tell you, this reminds me of Adam's response in Genesis 3 when God confronted him about his sin. (laughs) He blamed Eve, Adam blamed Eve. Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and somebody said that the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> How easy it is to play the blame game when it comes to our personal sin. We can come up with every excuse in the book and someone else to blame. Aaron said, well, it's really not that bad, and it really is not my fault. And then we learn in verse 24, he's dismissing the nature of sin. He's shifting blame. Then verse 24 we see he's changing the facts. Notice this. He, he Basically in verse 24, he said, now look, he said, I threw all I did. I just threw the gold in the fire and poof, out came this golden calf. Now friend, that's not what happened. Verse 4 says... That yes, he put the gold in the fire, melted down, and then he took the molten gold, the melted gold, liquid gold, and he covered the wooden platform, that wooden structure, and he himself, with his own hand, took the engraving tool. And he fashioned that calf. It didn't just come out that way, he created it that way. He changes the facts of what had happened. Oh, how easy it is for us, you and I, to change the facts when it comes to our sin, being confronted about our sin. We want to downplay it. We want to shift the blame. We want to change the facts of what happened because we think maybe that it will make us look better and not be as bad, not be as revealing. Oh, dear friend. It is high time that when the Holy Spirit of God confronts us individually about our own personal sin, and we all deal with it. We all have sin. We all deal with temptation. It's high time that you and I own up to what we do. Just come clean with God. Just acknowledge the sin, the offense. So the first, fourth action that we must take, ladies and gentlemen, as we come down the home stretch is you know what? It's time for us to get on the correct side. We need to get on the correct side. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, listen to verse 25. Notice it. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. And he said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him, and he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. There fell of the people that day, listen to this, three thousand men. For Moses had said... Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Verse 26, Moses issues this question. Who is on the Lord's side? Who Who here among these millions are on the Lord's side? It's interesting to me that that reveals a truth that God has a side when it comes to right and wrong, when it comes to sin, when it comes to morality, when it comes to absolute abstract truth. God has a side. When it comes to integrity, God has a side. When it comes to right and wrong, God is not neutral. During the Civil War, President Lincoln was once asked if God was on his side (laughs) Mr. President, do you think God's on your side? His reply was, It is not, is God on my side, but am I on God's side? You see, the concern I have, I should have, is me being on His side, not Him being on my side. God, in this text, gave everyone a chance to repent and get on the correct side. You say, well, what is the correct side, Brother Christian? Well, the correct side is wherever God is standing. That's whose side I want to be on. When it comes to my personal life, when it comes to my philosophy of life, my worldview, when it comes to politics, when it comes to finances, when it comes to my private world, when it comes to everything, child rearing, uh, relationship development, uh, marital issues. I want to be on God's side when it comes to every area of life. It's no, interesting, he calls out the sons of Levi sons of Levi were Levites. They were given the responsibility as the priests, as the ministers of God to carry out the punishment. Moses said, all right, fellas, God called you and put you in leadership. Now it's time to go to work and to do your job. And so basically, everybody was given a chance. Either repent of the idolatry and get back on God's side, or if you persisted in your idolatry, you would be judged. And so verse 27 says that 3,000 men were eliminated from the camp that day. These were those who were found to be committed to idolatry. And they refused to repent and they were executed. You're like, You're Why did God do that? Well, let me tell you one of the reasons why. Because He wants you and I to understand in 2020 that God is deadly serious about how we deal with sin. Absolutely. 3,000 are executed because they refuse to forsake their idolatry. And I'm sure, gang, that Aaron, as we get ready to pray, I'm sure Aaron had no clue that his compromise in leadership would result in the deaths of 3,000 Israelites. Our sinful choices, friend, always have more far-reaching consequences than what we can ever foresee. There's always a ripple effect. And then I close with verse 29. And the Lord says, okay, now it's time for everyone to consecrate themselves to the Lord. Can I say this? It's time for you and I, what an what a opportune moment for us right now to pause and bow our head and for all of us to consecrate ourselves afresh and anew rededicate, recommit ourselves afresh and anew to God's purpose and God's will and God's leadership in our lives. Can we do that just now? Would, Would you pause right now, bow your head wherever you are, and let's seek the face of God as we personally say to the Lord, Lord, I reaffirm, I rededicate myself to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, help us to learn these lessons to apply truth to right where we are as we rededicate and reconsecrate ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. Touch those in our church body and family that need your immediate miracle touch. In Jesus' name we pray.